Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, June 30th. We are halfway through the year 2021. Tomorrow we start July and it is 1030 a.m., which means it is time to get back to studying the Bible. Missed you all last week. Had a great trip, but now I'm back and we are starting a new book of the Bible today. We are starting Hebrews. Hebrews chapter one, the book of Hebrews, a book in the New Testament. A book we don't know who wrote it. Uh, uh, most some some people early on thought it was Paul. Uh, Paul Paul might have written it in Hebrew, and then translated it. Into, uh, maybe Luke translated it into Greek. Uh, but the more people have studied it, the more they thought uh, this doesn't feel like Paul. Uh, it's different than anything Paul's ever written because it's not a letter. It actually starts like an essay, then in the middle kind of transitions to like a sermon, and then finishes like a letter. And so if Paul had written it, it would probably start with like, grace and peace to you from God our Father in heaven. But that's not the way it starts. It starts like an essay. So we don't really know who wrote it. Martin Luther believed that Apollos wrote the book of Hebrews, uh, but we don't know who wrote it. Uh, It's more polished and eloquent than most of the other books of the New Testament. And it's thought of as like a a masterpiece, that it was really well written and uh, has a lot of good stuff in it. So that's why we're studying it. And um, just a, a little bit of timeline here. Uh, some scholars believe it was written uh, 63, 64, maybe through 69. Uh, so basically in the 60s, of the early, the first century. Uh, so the book of Hebrews, it's got some good stuff in it. And I appreciate you joining me uh, for the study and hope you learn some stuff. And uh, uh, we will uh, jump right in. Okay, verses... 1 through 4, verses 1 through 4, says, Long ago God spoke to our ancestors, and many in various ways by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory in the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name as he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay, so a couple things here. Just start start right away. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors, but now speaks to us by the Son. So basically, the book of Hebrews opens up with a very basic idea. God exists and speaks to us. God exists and and speaks to us. Since the beginning, God has existed and has spoken to us. In the beginning, God did it through prophets, and now God does it through the Son. So the question I have, do you think most most people believe this to be true? Do you think most people you meet, most people you encounter in life, that drive on the streets, the same streets as you, that are in the grocery store when you're in there, do they believe that God exists and speaks to us. Do they? Do you believe that God exists and speaks to us? And if so, what is God trying to say to us? What is God trying to say to us? I think it's a very interesting question. What is God trying to say to us? If we believe God exists and God speaks to us, what is God trying to say to us? Well, I would say that God speaks to us now through the words of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to us when we open Scripture in prayer, and the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And um, I think that the Holy Spirit has something very important to say, 
something that we probably uh, we probably don't listen enough. <laughs> but you know, to to find peace, right? To to work for peace, to look for peace, to believe that we are forgiven, to believe that we are loved. Uh, I think the Holy I mean, the Holy Spirit has a lot to say to us, and I think it all basics basically, you know, what Scripture says. What scripture says about who God is and what God is like. I think that's what the spirit would say to us. So, uh, okay. In the previous times, it was done through the prophets. And the prophets did that in many different ways. As we read through the Old Testament, we see that, uh, you know, there's there's psalms, there's parables, there's historical narratives, there's confrontations. Uh, there's all kinds of stuff. Um, but the revelation of Jesus was unique because in Jesus, there isn't someone talking on behalf of God. It is God in the flesh basically coming to us. So not only do we have the words of God, we have the personality of God. We see what God is like. And um, and so in Jesus, we see God in a way that we've never been able to see God before. And we see God in a way we've never seen God since. We see the very nature of God. We see the, the personality and the person and the way that God talks and the way that God treats others and stuff like that. And so... We as Lutherans, Martin Luther talked about something called the canon within the canon, meaning that the gospel is the most important part of scripture. It's the cradle that holds Christ. It is it is that which tells us who God is and what God is like. So we hold the gospels to be very important, right? Because it is the it is the the nature of God, the personality of God, the God in the flesh with us speaking to us in ways that God has never been able to or ne- never has done before. So then it says Jesus. This this Jesus is the the heir of all things, right? The uh, inheritor of all things. He made the world. He made all things, and he is the beam of God's glory. He is that which we see God through, right? It's you know the idea is that we we haven't actually ever seen the the sun, right? We see the rays of the sun. We haven't actually um, there's there's you know things that that we don't really see, but we know are there, like the wind, right? We, we can't see the wind, but you can, you can see what the wind does. And, and so basically Jesus is the beam of God's glory, meaning that, you know, you can't see the Father, but because of Jesus, you know the Father is there, and you can see the work of the Father all through the world. Um, and then I love this, the, is the exact imprint of God. Jesus is the exact imprint of God. And we can think about, you know, waves as imprints. Or, but uh, the idea basically is that Jesus is like the exact likeness of God, like 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 a stamping a coin, right? Every coin is the same. And and so, you know, Jesus is stamped with, with the stuff of God in a way that human beings aren't. You know, we are begotten, not made, or he is begotten, not made, what we are made. Um, and so, uh, you know, Jesus is the exact imprint of God. Basically, the writer of Hebrews is putting Jesus on the level of God so that those who are reading, remember this is written to the Hebrews, right? The, pe- the people of Israel, most likely to a community in Jerusalem, most likely to a people who grew up Jewish and who are having a very difficult time understanding the uh, divinity of Jesus. And so the argument here is that Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is more than an angel, that Jesus is on on the same level as God the Father, as Yahweh. And so, um, you know, this is, this is radical stuff 
for them at the time. Uh, and, and so then it says, well, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus purified our sins. Uh, you know, he, there's this external purification. We are made pure. We are made holy. We are made righteous by someone else, not because we've done anything, which is really, really in contrast to what the Pharisees are saying, which is if you want to be made holy, if you want to be purified, you have to do it yourself. And so this says, no, 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 no. Jesus did that for us. And so again, something pretty uh, controversial uh, in contrast to what people have been told at the time. So um, those are the first four verses. And then basically the rest of the chapter here is explaining, explaining or proving that Jesus is above the angels, right? That proving that Jesus is not one of the angels and that he is above the angels. So we read verses five and six. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And so again, it's all about, it's all about Jesus being above the angel. Jesus is superior because he is the object of the angels worship. He is not one of the angels worshiping, right? They worship him. He does not worship among them. Uh, this is what we see in Revelation chapter 5, uh, verses 11 and 12. He says, says Then I looked and, and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. And what were they doing? They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. So, the revelation has this image of all the angels, all 10,000 times 10,000, right? Encircled, gathered around the throne saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So it, it, the, the, the angels are worshiping Jesus. So Jesus, therefore, is not one of them, right? Jesus is superior. Jesus is superior to them. And God, uh, God the Father calls Jesus God and Lord through the Psalms. And so we see this this witness of, of God saying that Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, is above the, the angels. Uh, and so basically, if you're a first century Jewish person who's learning about Christianity and trying to understand who Jesus is, this is really helpful. This is really helpful. Now, for you and I, we might already have this basic understanding that Jesus is not an, an angel. Jesus is above the angels. But if you're trying to figure out how Jesus fits into your religion, this religion that you grew up with, this religion that is the truth as far as you know. How does Jesus fit in? This is something that's really helpful. Uh, and then we'll just jump ahead to verses 13 and 14. This will be the end. Um, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels spirits in the divine service sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Okay, a couple things here. Jesus is superior to the angels because Jesus is sitting. Jesus sitting at the right hand of God says it in verse 13. Then if we go back up to verse, I think it's verse four or verse three, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so Jesus is sitting and basically Jesus's work has been completed. The work which was done on earth, the work of dying on the cross, the work of rising again and ascending into heaven. Jesus's work is done. And so Jesus is sitting, but the angels are not sitting. They continue in divine service. 
continue in divine service for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So the angels are continually at work on our behalf, continually at work working for us, those who are going to inherit divine salvation, right? And so uh, they never get to relax. They never get to rest. And so the question then is, when we get to heaven, will we be relaxing or will we be working? Will we be relaxing in heaven, in paradise, or will we be in divine service, right? For the sake of those who will inherit the kingdom, who will inherit salvation. Uh, I think it's an interesting question. If we think about what our image of heaven is, is it, you know, sitting in a hammock, relaxing, or is it going to work? Going to work for the sake of the kingdom, in divine service, doing things for God, doing things for those who are to inherit salvation. Is there something in between? You know, what, what does heaven look like? What are our activities in heaven going to be? You know, is there like an arts and craft time and, you know, a sports time and a beach time? Like, you know, when I think of camp, you know, what, what, what is heaven going to be like? I think it's an interesting question. And I wonder, I, I mean, will we relax? Will we sit around the fire? I don't, I, I don't get the sense that there'll be any night, right? Uh, but um, we do know that the, the angels continue to work and Jesus gets to sit. So Jesus is above the angels. That's the main point here. And uh, uh, that's the main point to the, the Jewish people of that day. So uh, who were looking into Christianity, who were becoming Christians. So there we go. That's chapter one, short chapter. Next week, we will get into Hebrews chapter two. And we will close with a, uh, with a word of prayer. So, uh, dear Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for speaking to us, for calling us uh, to your service, for claiming us, for purifying us, for loving us. We pray that you would speak to us and that we would hear you. Give us the patience to sit and listen. Give us the wisdom to discern what it is you would say to us. And give us the courage to live it out uh, in your world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A uh, question came in. Is there a finite number of angels? Uh, good question, Patty. I do not know. I do not know. Uh, you know we do know what Revelation says. 10,000 times 10,000. So what we do know is that the number is really, really big. But uh, I don't know if there's a, a cap on it or not. So... Uh, great question. Don't know the answer. Um, but uh, next week, we'll go to chapter two and see what else that tells us. So everyone have a great day. Thanks for joining me today. Take good care of yourselves and we will see you next week.